0: The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at HiltonHeadPCA.com. Extending Our Reach. That is our series this January of looking and asking how do we extend both in length of reach but also in effectiveness of our reach with the gospel to take the vision that God has given us here, which is simply the vision of any church, by the way. It's not all that creative to say uh, that we want to know Christ and make him known, because every church should say, I want to know Christ and make him known. That we want to grow in our discipleship, to grow in our Christian education, to grow in our following of Christ, to know Him more intimately for the end result, not of becoming uh, just more knowledgeable, more puffed up in ourselves, but to make Him known. The church and the person who sits in the chair in the church has been described by some uh, as a sponge, uh, that we sit, we soak, and we sour. That we sit and we soak everything in. And if you've ever been around a sponge that's just been soaking stuff in and sitting for a long time, you don't want to smell it because it just sours. See, the church was never designed to just sit and soak and sour, it was designed to sit. ...under the teaching of word, sit in the presence of Christ, be around him and around his church... Uh, ...to soak it in, to let it get down into the very marrow uh, of our souls, to be part of our DNA... ...and then to go out and to take that and to flow out of us to the world around us... ...that the Lord rings us out in a way, that he takes that living water. That's why we've said in the Proverbs that it's so important for us to care for our hearts... ...to care for our souls, to care for ourselves... Because from us, from our hearts, flows living water to the world around us. And so we want to make sure that the water that is being flowed into us, uh, that is then flowing into the world, isn't tainted. It's not soured. It's not wrong. But it's life-giving, that it's refreshing, uh, that it's eternal in its nature. And so we come and we've said that that begins with us last week. We said we want to extend our reach down first into our own hearts. Because we want to be changed. We want to know the gospel so deeply and desperately that we are changed by it. And then by that extension of God's reach deep down within us, it begins to move us out into the world around us locally. We're going to talk about that a little bit next week, that we look at what we're doing here. That the first place to do mission is here. It is important to go, uh, but it's also important to start and then to go out and to keep moving out. And and so we want to be a church that's active here. And and you are. We are. And so proud of what uh, we do here in in seeing God do a great work. And the partnerships that we have with some wonderful ministries uh, here on the island and in the low country... Of affecting and reaching lives uh, locally through service and through ministry, through caring for others. But we want to then step and go further out, yes, nationally, but even beyond that to the nations uh, around us. We want to see the power of the gospel move. We want to see Hilton Head Presbyterian Church have an impact on the world. You realize that, that this little church here. With a bunch of people who aren't from here, by the way. How many of you are not from here? <laughs> yeah, wow. Everyone. Very few true native islanders. And so it begs the question why in the world would a sovereign God draw you from wherever you came from, bring you here with a collection of other people who aren't from here? Why would he do that? I believe he's done that because he believes that this conglomeration of individuals with all of your giftedness, uh, with all of your strengths, with all of your weaknesses, with all of your glory, with all of your inadequacies, that he wants to do something significant through us. We're not here to retire. We're not here to have the end game of the American dream is I've worked really hard all of my life and the quicker I can get to retirement to do nothing the better. And if I can do it at 50, 60 or 70, I win. I believe God has taken you, some of you in your retirement, some of you still in your work. He's brought you here to say, I have something significant for you to do here and around the world. Folks, do you realize if we leverage the giftedness, the wealth, uh, the uh, the strengths of this church, the world would never be the same because of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. Do you believe that? Really? (laughs) Wow, that was overwhelming, wasn't it, Mike? Good thing you have us in your back pocket. Uh, Do you believe that? I hope so. There we go. Well, we don't, actually. And it was just showed right there. We don't really. We want to, sort of. But, folks, here's why I came to this church. Here's why I believe God uh, had said, Bill, you're supposed to go to this church. Because I thought that this church could do something incredible. It could do something great, and we have. But guess what he's saying? There's more to do. There's so much more to do. There's so many more people to reach with the gospel of lives to be affected, of trees to be cut down, of roofs to be repaired, of tears to be shed, uh, of embracing to be done, of lives to be shared together through this little church. I call it our little northern enclave on a southern island. This group of people the bride of Christ, brought together by a sovereign God for a sovereign plan to do something that we couldn't have done if we weren't here together. That's what I believe. And here's what God wants us to do. Sing. Some of you are going, I'm out. (laughs) Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. in his faithfulness. This is the very word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. Father, we come to your word with incredible humility, for these are not human words. These are the words of the very God, our God, the creator of all things. For you have spoken, and we now humbly listen. Would you challenge, convict, encourage? Father, would you prompt us to extending your reach through us to the world around us. As we pray in Christ's name, amen. John Piper uh, spoke about missions and has been a a great influence on my life of how we view missions. For too many people, missions was the time in the church when the missionary came and told us uh, about the food. You notice when we interview missionaries, we ever ask about food. I don't want to know about the food of Belize, quite honestly. I want to know what the significance of this family who's uprooted their lives and gone down to Belize. What what significance are they having down there for the kingdom and the gospel of Jesus Christ? If we go, we'll eat. Yes, but I'm more concerned about that—that there's significance to missions. There's something more uh, than an interesting trip to someplace else in the world. John Piper, it's printed in the front of your bulletin, said this: missions is not the ultimate goal of the church interesting statement. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions is the overflow of our delight in God because missions is the overflow of God's delight in being God. You see, what we're looking at today And what we're talking about as we talk about extending our reach and this idea of missions is this. We want to see not simply people come uh, to faith in Christ, but that is true. But through that, we want to see them worship God. We want to see the world. We want to see the nations. We want to see the peoples become worshipers of the true king. That they would have, as it were, a song to sing. And so the first thing that we're going to look at this morning uh, in this sermon is simply this. Missions is a ministry of singing. Missions is a ministry of singing. And for some of you, you're going, that's not for me. That singing, you've heard all of the jokes. You know, I like to sing a solo, that's solo that no one is around. I'm a tenor, I should see tenor, 10 or 12, 15 miles away uh, from here. But missions, is a ministry of singing. Look at the first couple of verses, and then look at the last couple of verses. This psalm written for us is in parentheses. It's got bookends to it that speak of singing. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Any repetitive words? Sing to the Lord. And then he finishes, he has this incredible middle section there, and then he comes at the end and he says, now let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, let the sea roar and all that fills it, let the field exalt and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes For he comes to judge the earth, he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Why in the world would you begin and end such a psalm with a command to sing to the Lord a new song? Why would you do it? Well, the answer is incredibly simple. You see, you can't summon, you can't invite the nations to sing a song that you're not singing you can't invite them to join in a chorus that you're currently not a part of. You can't say to the world around you, world, nations, everyone, come and sing for joy to this great God. Now, I don't sing, but you should. I find no real joy in his presence. I find no real joy in following him, but you should, and so you should come and give your life to Christ, uh, so let's do that. No, it's inauthentic, It lacks integrity, the psalmist says, Ah, you, Christian church, missions is an outflow of what God is already doing within you. And what he's doing within you is he's creating within you a new song to sing. Worthy is the lamb who was slain, is the song of the ages sung right now in the presence of the king. Worthy is he who was slain to open the seals to give hope to the world to return. You see, singing is the consummation of the gladness and of that rejoicing that we find in God. This psalm is calling us to spread our passion for Christ, the King, to the world. Most of you know the lyrics. You've just forgotten the music. And lyrics alone don't lead you to a dance floor. Lyrics alone don't lead you to stand and to sing, but it's the music with the lyrics. You know the gospel, but it's become rote. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. And I've got cornbread to make because we've got people coming. And in Jesus Christ, and He was the Son of God, and He was just, oh, I've got a four o'clock meeting that I'm not quite prepared for. And you just say it. You wrote it out. You can say it, but it doesn't move you. There's not something within you that leads you out to sing the beauty of God, the greatness of God, the splendor and the majesty and the strength of God, the glory of his name, the splendor of his holiness, the immovable foundation of his rule, the tenderness of his mercy, the love of his salvation. These things lead us to be glad and to rejoice in him. It says all of creation will rejoice, which I find interesting. Creation hasn't experienced the blessedness and the goodness of the salvation of Jesus Christ. Yet God is saying to them, wait your turn. Trees, hold on. Waves, wait. Flowers, birds, hold on. I know you want to burst forth in singing in the presence of the creator, but I've got to give my church a chance first. For they've tasted the sweetness of the life that I've given them in Christ Jesus. No flower had to be redeemed from hell. No tree had to be saved from their sins. But it says all of creation wants to burst forth. But we, we the beautiful children of God, are the ones who've experienced it. How much more should we want to burst out into singing? Bursting out into song? In the presence of our God. I guess my question for you today is simply this. Are you singing a new song? Are you singing a song at all? And they sang a new song. Saying worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and from every language from people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth forever and it's resounding in heaven even right now of singing to this God. Are you singing at all? Is your life a song to this incredible God? I don't know if you watched it yesterday, you probably didn't, but I watched an interesting thing happen at Death Valley at Tiger Stadium in Clemson. I don't care who won the game. I don't care if you care, but this was fascinating. Sixty-plus thousand people gathered in a stadium to welcome home the conquering heroes of football in America And when it was done, when Dabo Sweeney had finished uh, the talk and and the rising up of everybody, and they're all fired up, guess what they did? 67,000 people sang. They sang an alma mater. They sang a fight song. Part of what I enjoy with my sons is on Saturday mornings, we watch the Premier League in soccer, And guess what? 60,000 people in the Emirates Stadium for Arsenal, for the Gunners, guess what they do all game long? They sing. They sing to their heroes on the field. They sing. One of my other sons went and was in Munich for a Baron Munich game, and he said, Dad, there were 50,000 people, and they stood on their feet the whole time and sang at a soccer game. This wasn't the eradication of poverty in the world. This wasn't the the healing of all cancer within the world. It's a bunch of people kicking a ball around in a game that has absolutely no eternal significance, and they sing. How much more should the church of Jesus Christ and the world sing of the true king? Show me a person who doesn't sing, and I will show you a person who has a spiritual problem. If you are not singing at some level, and you can be really bad... It doesn't matter. The Lord doesn't say, sing well. He says, sing loud. So get used to it, person next to the person who can't sing. (laughs) Because last time I checked, you would probably be on the bloopers of American Idol. Most of us would be. There's a select few who wouldn't. There is a song to sing. And I guess my question is are you singing? Is your life a song? People come around you and see and hear and feel the melody of the gospel, the driving bass of a God who marches in with the armies of heaven. And He says, I've got your back, I've got your front, I cover and encase you with my hands, Bill McCutcheon, and nothing can touch you. You are safe with me, and I sing we're moved, it touches our affections. doesn't mean you have to raise your hands. doesn't mean you have to weep. It doesn't mean you have to clap. But something in you has to be moved and affected or else your heart is cold. So we sing a song. So to whom do we sing the song? Is there an audience for this song of missions that we have? And yes, there is an audience. And the audience of our song is the nations of the world. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. Well, in our bumper sticker soundbite culture of today, we've soundbited this statement. I sing, I live, I play for an audience of one. That's not biblical, by the way. It's sort of biblical, but not fully biblical. Yes, soli deo Gloria you do all to the glory of God, but you do it in front of a watching world. There is an audience. And we sing this song, and we share this message of the gospel to a watching world who wonders why in the world there are 300 and some people giving up valuable time on a beautiful day to gather together in a church to do something, and they're wondering why in the world you're gone every Sunday morning. And if you come home telling the kids to shut up and your spouse to shut up and you're worried about uh, this and you're worried about that and you get right back into it, they're going to go, okay, nothing there. I got that all on my own. I don't need 300 people to remind me of how bad life is. But if somehow we come home and in the midst of the difficulties with kids and spouses and all the things that go on, there's still a song that we sing. The nations are watching and the nations are hearing. That means the nations hear. Again, like I've said to you before, the gospel is apolitical. So, this isn't a political statement. I'm not worried about your immigration principles of what you think the United States should do with immigration. But I know this the sovereign God of the universe has brought the nations into our nation. And while they're here, we have an audience to sing in front of, to share the good news of the gospel to say to a Syrian who's come in and has never heard the gospel, let me introduce you to Jesus Christ because if you do get deported and go back to Syria, at least you would have the hope of eternity. If you have to go back into the rubble of Aleppo, at least let me tell you about a God who can take you one day into his very presence and you'll be full and you'll be whole. That we'll learn Spanish so that we can tell others about the beauty of God and the tongue that they understand. That we'll love those who are around us, the nations who are right here. That's why we need to be active here and abroad. That's why it's so important for you to go, not on some sort of tourist mission trip, but to go and to actually see what's happening in the world around you, to understand that the nations are looking. I'm going to read you a couple of interesting statistics about this. You see, no nation can be left out of our scope John Piper wrote this, he said, God did not make known his ways or reveal his glory or display his marvelous works for you alone or for your ethnic group alone. He did it with a view to the nations. This isn't for us alone. It is for us, but not alone, exclusively. There's a wonderful uh, website that you can go to. It's called the Joshua Project, the Joshua Project, and I hope you'll go and look at it. It'll give you some statistics about what God's doing through missions around the world today. Currently, there are roughly 6,700 unreached people groups in the world today. 6,700 in 2016. By unreached, it simply means that they are not able on their own to sustain a ministry of the gospel. There are so few or any Christians who are in their midst that they indigenously, with their own leadership, cannot sustain a movement or a work of the gospel there. Uh, 6,700, which represents... About 42% of the world's population, or roughly 3.1 billion people, have not heard the gospel. In 2016, you realize that 87% of giving to foreign missions goes to work among already Christian groups. 87%. Only 1% of Christian mission giving goes to reach unreached people groups. 1%. In 1800, 99% of evangelicals lived in Europe and in North America. Today, that number is only 26%. Conversely, in 1800, only 1% of evangelicals in the world lived in what would be called now the Global South, that is Latin America, Central America, uh, South America, um, uh, into Africa, into parts of Asia. Now that number, in 2016, is 76% of evangelicals live in the Global South. More missionaries are sent from the global south than from Europe and America. Europe and America are becoming unreached people groups in many ways. Another statistic, and I know they're just statistics, but interesting, 81% of the world's Hindu, Muslim, and Buddhists do not personally know a Christian. How are they supposed to come to faith? How are they supposed to hear the gospel if they don't even know a Christian? If they don't even bump into one every now and then? The nations are the audience for our song. Which then leads okay, missions is a ministry of singing. We have an audience, and that is the nations. It is the Lord in our song, but it is the nations as well. So, what's the message? What's the song we're supposed to sing? You don't get to just sing any song. It's a song of the Lamb. It's a song that, at least in this psalm, says this, verse three it declares his glory. It declares his glory. The glory of God is a big deal in Scripture and it should be, and therefore it should be for us in our lives that it's a big deal for us. Jonathan Edwards wrote this, God's purpose for my life was that I have a passion for God's glory and that I have a passion for my joy in that glory, and these two are one passion, that I have a passion for His glory, for His weightiness, for who He is. You see, The glory of God, as one writer put it, is the infinite beauty and greatness, weightiness of God's manifold perfections. The glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. It is weighty. It is saying that God is significant, that he's powerful, that there's something about him, there's something substantial to him, that we want to talk about His weightiness, we want to talk about His glory, we want to talk about His transcendence for how awesome He is. Recognize the opposite of that, is to go out and to declare to the world that God's light and fluffy, that He's just sort of, yeah. What if you walked into marriage with that attitude? Yeah, I'm going to maybe stay with you for the rest of my life, but we'll see. My vow would be as long as we both shall love versus as long as we both shall live. You see, in marriage, there's a weightiness. There's a glory to marriage. That's why I love doing weddings. I don't get the chance as much anymore. And for so many young people who I would do their premarital counseling, they would walk away from our first session wondering if I believed in the institution of marriage at all. Because I would look at them and I'd go, 50% are going to fail, are going to crash and burn. Why in the world do you think you can make it? Why do you think you can do this? How come? well, you know, uh, hmm, uh, yeah, well, do you recognize what you're stepping into? Marriage is a beautiful picture. The best possible picture that God could come up with of his relationship to man was through marriage. Do you know that? Because on a wedding day in the service, you're a part of a cosmic play, and the bridegroom is standing up front, and I get the chance of sitting next to him or standing next to him, and he represents Jesus. Jesus. He is the bridegroom, and then the bride. There's never been an ugly bride, by the way, in all of her radiance, and all of her beauty, wearing that hot red dress. What color does she wear? White. Why? Because she's perfect? No, because in God's cosmic play, and the beauty of marriage, it says this, bride representative of all Christians for all time, of the bride of Christ, the church, when you come, And you take vows with the bridegroom, you are perfectly white. You are perfected by his presence in your life. And if you stay in that, there is a beauty to it, a weightiness to it. And why is the falling apart and the destruction of marriage in the world, especially in our own country, so devastating? It's because it talks and it takes lightly the beauty of the glory and the work of God. So if you're married, take it seriously if you're thinking about marriage, take it seriously. It's a beautiful thing. And we don't talk lightly about this marriage. We don't talk lightly about this gospel. It's glorious to us. It leads us to sing. You know where the best songs, sonnets, poems have come from? A person in love a person who looks at their beloved and prose comes out of them poetry just flows out of them songs are sung to them it won't go well for you today friends if you're married and you go home and your bride or your husband says to groom says to you sing a song and you go yeah you're okay and I'll get with you next sunday for an hour don't bother me during the week But when I do need you to help me out of a bad situation, come to me. I love you. It's not going to go well for you. But isn't that the song we sing to God all the time? God, I really need you at 1045 or 11. I'm a little late normally. And then I'm done with you at noon, hopefully at noon if Bill doesn't go long. Because i got a lot of other things to do this week, and I'd like you to fix me. And I really do love you, and I want to be with you because you're awesome and you're glorious for an hour and then really leave me alone the rest of the week until something bad enters into my life and then I need you to come back and salvage me and fix me but I'm really not in love with you I don't take any part of you very gloriously or weighty how do you think God as our lover responds to that pathetic effort of a song back to him the song that we sing has glory in it it has weight that we declare and tell of his glory, that we invite, and I need to hurry up, that we invite the nations to join in. We don't just tell them and sing in front of them, but we say to them, now you join with me. Summon the nations, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, sing to the Lord all the earth. We say to them, now you come in and sing too. You participate in this. You get to know this great God. You come in and give your life to this king and be forever transformed because of him now come. You don't just sing in front of them. You don't just live in front of them. You invite them in. for you see, guess what? You have an answer to their greatest fears and their greatest challenge is death itself. And so we sing this song of the glory of God in front of the nations, inviting them in. And part of that song that we sing of his glory is also a warning of his impending judgment. All the peoples of the earth, all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Yes, the world is established, verse 10. It shall never be moved, but he will judge the peoples with equity. He comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. In other words, when we sing, uh, sing to the Lord all the peoples, we say this, for he's coming back. He's coming back. And he's going to judge the world. In his perfections and in his righteousness, he will make all things right and all things new. And you need to be a follower of him or else it will be a bad day, eternally bad day. And the beauty of what we have within this warning, the beauty of what we have in this song, the beauty of it all is this. I heard this week of a member of our community who had been serving in a local pharmacy, 46 years old had a little bit of blood in his stool, finally went to the doctor. He has less than four months to live. Two beautiful daughters and less than four months to live now. Cancer has just taken over his body. If I had a cure for his cancer, how could I not give it to him? How could I not go take this. I don't believe that it'll work. I don't care if you believe if it works. You've got to have this. It will save your life. And I would give it to him, and to withhold that would be the height, not of a lack of love, but of hatred. Folks, we hold something more powerful than a a cancer cure. We hold within us a message of hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of the King who will one day come back in, and you will sing in his presence because you'll be made fully right and fully whole. I talked to another friend who recently had a diagnosis of cancer, and as they were at the doctor, uh, the diagnosis came back a little worse than they had anticipated. And they said they're a little bit more upset than they would have expected. And the doctor goes, Well, we can talk about treatments, but let me tell you this how's your spiritual life? Oh, what a doctor. Because he knew this, regardless of cancer, I need to know about your soul. Ah, I like that guy. Wouldn't we be more like that? To say, I don't know if I can fix your marriage. I don't know if I can fix your finances. I don't know if I can fix the addiction that's in your life, the depression that you're facing. But I can do this. I can tell you about one who will give you a song to sing. Who will make your life come alive in his presence. Even if you were to die, you'd live forever with him. Folks, we have a song and a ministry of song to the world around us. It's filled with glory and hope. It's filled with beauty and of judgment. But it's a song that we sing. So I guess my question for you is, are you singing? What song are you singing? Do you have a heart for these things? The beauty of quoting other people is you can hide behind them. So if you don't like the quote, I can say, well, that was Piper. But he says this, when it comes to world missions, there are only three kinds of people in the world. There are goers, there are senders, and there are disobedient. Which one are you? I hope that we are going and sending and singing of this great lamb. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we have a song. That I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, I see his hands, I see his feet, I see my Savior on that cursed tree. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days, we will sing your praise, O Lord our God and he shall return in robes of white the blazing sun shall pierce the night and I will rise among the saints my gaze transfixed on Jesus face Father we come and we praise the glory of your name receive now the songs of your people that the world would hear and be changed Amen. Let's stand and sing.